Blog Talk Radio. Evolutionary Woman Radio. Tune in Mondays and Thursdays, 5.30 p.m., only on Blog Talk Radio. Visit our Facebook page for archived shows at facebook.com forward slash Evolutionary Woman Radio. Good afternoon, family. Welcome to another episode of Evolutionary Woman Radio. I am your host, Khadija Ali. And we are on location in Maryland. We made it. We made it. We made it. I want to tell you guys the beauty of being in this day and age where we have 
internet. We can get internet anywhere. And so I'm coming to you live, literally on the road from Starbucks. <laughs> and I want to welcome you all for being here on another episode. And I thank you for supporting us. And I want you to go on over to our page. Head on over to uh, Evolutionary Woman Radio with Hope Kitty Jolly. That's the name of the page. Like the page if you have any questions. Uh, tonight, as you're listening to the program, you can post them if you're listening online and you just don't feel like calling in. And we also are on Twitter at Evolved Woman One. Yes, family, we're on Twitter. So we'll be tweeting live, we'll be Facebooking live, we'll be doing all that wonderful stuff tonight on the show. And tonight I am. Truly, truly honored. This superstar, I want to call her a superstar. I don't even know how we connected. Other than I think maybe we're both a part of Women Speakers Association. One day I was um, on her Facebook page and she had did an interview on a podcast, and right now it escapes my mind which podcast. I think it was Get Out of Your Own Damn Way. I think that's the name of the podcast. Anyway, she was talking about her life. She was explaining um, her journey, and she was so authentic. She was so real. She was so – she was an open book. And I love, love, love people who come to this show in that manner. They come, and they're an open book, and they're real, and it helps other women. It helps those of us who are maybe struggling. We're struggling um, to find ourselves. We're looking outside of ourselves to figure out who we are instead of going inward. And a lot of times we go through different things in life that uh, we make mistakes. We make mistakes, and so hidden blessings. And so um, tonight's guest, uh, it's an honor and a pleasure to have her here. Her name is Taliba Asset. And sis, if I'm saying your name wrong, please correct me so that we can be on the same page because I, I have a, a ethnic sounding name as well, uh, Khadija, and a lot of times people mispronounce it. And um, so I, I don't want to do that to anyone else. But Before I bring my guest on tonight, I want to tell you who she is. She is a metaphysician. She's uh, an integrative healing arts practitioner. She's an advisor. She's a soul therapist. Whoa, a soul therapist. We always hear about mental therapists, mental health therapists, but my sister says she's a soul therapist. She's an ordained spiritual therapist. She's an inspirational writer and transformational speaker, and she uses her own self-styled wisdom, tell it like it is humor, yes, she definitely does that, and powerful stories to create powerful message that touch, inspire, and trans lives. She has overcome physical, sexual, and emotional abuse. She survived single motherhood, poverty, and homelessness, gone from low self-esteem to self-mastery, transformed extreme codependency into self-confidence, and she masterfully harnesses 
the lessons of failure and suffering to create sometimes hilarious, sometimes tear-jerking, and always memorable and inspiring messages and programs that help others take control of their own lives. She has a signature message. Her message is be uncommonly extraordinary, family. Be uncommonly extraordinary. And she helps you to understand the purpose of suffering, recognize the value of failure, think abundantly, attempt fearlessly, and make a way out of no way to masterfully let go and live an uncommonly extraordinary life. My dear sisters, it is my esteemed honor and pleasure to welcome to the show my dear queen sister, Haliba Asset. My sister, are you there? Yes, I am. Thank you so much. Wow, what an introduction. (laughs) Thank you so much. I am so to be here. It's an honor to have you here, my queen. Thank you. You know, I I always say to my guests, you know, sit back and relax. It's a very relaxed show. There's no telling where we may go in our conversation um, because there's a lot I want to talk about, so much so that I set the show for two hours. So if we go two hours, great. If we don't, it's all good. But I want you to imagine that you and I are sitting across from each other at Bonefish Grill, and we have a glass of wine or sparkling cider in front of us, and we are just kicking it, and we just don't happen to be on the radio so people can listen, so especially women can can get some golden nuggets and know that they're not alone out here in the world. Um, so kick back and relax, and I, you know what? I just really want you to to share with the audience who you are. Um, I know I gave all that glossy stuff about soul therapist and ordained spiritual minister, but um, you you give us your introduction. I am Taliba Set, and I I have to say this, you know, going in, Taliba Set is is not my birth name. Taliba Set is who I am, and it it is my attribute. You know, when we have a name, and I, I've been going back and forth really about whether I wanted to change the name or not, and she asked for an introduction, I thought this is a great story. So I've been going back and forth about that. And I said to myself, well, the name that my parents gave me was the best that they had to give. And although they had nowhere to know who I was going to become. So I chose a name for myself, and I'll tell you guys about Saliba Set. I went to look for a name, and I, I wanted a name. So I went on, like, a, a self-style vision quest. And I said, who am I? Saliba is an Arabic name, and Saliba means seeker of knowledge. If I'm nothing else, <laughs> that, that is it. I'm always forever wanting to learn. I want to know everything, everything that I can know. And then Aset is the original Egyptian name for the goddess Isis. Isis, the goddess of healing, the goddess of magic, and the goddess 
a manifestation and my namesake. I feel very much of an affinity with them. So I took the two names and squashed them together and became for me to upset. And my business became, aside from Divine Design Soul Therapy, Feliza Asset Inc. And I am Feliza Asset That is who I am. And aside from that, I am really just an everyday woman. I go through things and I feel things very strongly. And I get angry. And, you know, I have a whole lot of energies always going on. Mm-hmm. So I took all of the things that I was doing and I bought them up and created something. And I created something that I want to give to everyone else. And that, that is what it is. And a lot of people, when they come to me and I, I speak to them and they say, oh, you helped me so much. You're so amazing. And I'm just met so like, man, I'm just a regular I'm just telling you what I've learned. Right. I'm blessed to be able to have learned these lessons. I didn't always feel blessed about it when I was going through it, of course, but I'm blessed to be able to harness those things and to, to perceive them in a way that I can give them back to you all in a way that can help you and, and allow you to be able to heal yourself because I don't heal anyone. I help you heal yourself. Right, right. I'm so glad to hear you say that because, for me, that's what empowerment is. It's helping someone tap into their own personal power. I guess Tony Robbins said personal power. I never knew what he meant because I wasn't tapping in mine. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, I don't know what, because I was looking outside of myself. So it's good to hear you say that. You know, it's about helping someone tap in, go within to tap into it. And maybe there might be a blind spot somewhere that they can't see that you can see. Because maybe perhaps you walk the road, you've walked the road, um, and you found your way back. And I think a lot of times that people don't feel like they can find their way back. And I have my own theories and, and stuff about that. I don't want to get into that here tonight, unless we unless we go there. <laughs> and we <laughs> want to go there. <laughs> but um, there was one thing that you said that you were talking about on the um, podcast. There's a few things that you talked about, but one of them that I really honed in on was mental health. And yeah. the reason why I wanted to talk about it tonight is because Ooh, excuse me. I think a lot of times in our community, African American mm-hmm. community, Black community, pick, take a tag, pick whichever one you want to use. Um, we don't talk about mental health. We don't acknowledge that there's an issue, and many many people suffer in silence. And and I'm saying it because I had. <clears throat> anxiety and depression and never knew what the name was. I just knew I was experiencing something. And how did you get to that place where you were able to freely share your journey with mental health and what 
what made you want to share it? Well, I'll start by asking, answering the question about what made me want to share it. And it has a whole lot to do with the fact that, like you said, in our community, it's not something that is talked about. It's like the elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. And it is, you know, he's in the living room, and the living room's not that big. It's not a lot of space, but everybody acts as if he's not there. Kind of like the emperor in his new clothes. And it's this little kid that says, hey, he's naked. And everybody's scared to face him. They're like, they all know he's naked, but nobody's brave enough to say anything. And the fact is, you know, over the past, I know over the past year, I have been either directly or indirectly with several people who committed suicide in our community. No, not too long ago, a, a man in our community, he killed like five people and himself. And then they say, well, we knew he had problems, but we never thought he would do this. And, mm. you know, I'm listening to this stuff, and I'm thinking to myself, well, if you're never going to talk about it or you're going to always act like it's not there or it's not as big of an issue as it is, then it, it can't be worked out. Mm-hmm. Own life, it kind of was like that. I had some very real issues, and mm-hmm. it, they probably wouldn't have gotten as far as they had if somebody had to say, you know, what she really had some issues. Let's do something about it instead of saying, well, you know, she's just crazy and leaving it at that. Because it kind of was like a joke to everyone else. And and do understand that truth is truth as far as it's perceived. So mm. how, how else in my family, because I, I definitely always have to put this disclaimer on, I love my family. And I don't yeah. say things to bash my family or to say, well, they were just these horrible people. They did the best they could. What I'm saying is they did not know how to deal with it. And the issues that I have came from, not just me. It was a long line of emotional problems from one person to another person to another person. You never knew how to deal with it. I happened to have been one that could not function, and I was highly sensitive, so I was the one that ended up having to receive the most help from the mental health services. Well, the thing that 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 happened was it, it wasn't a good experience. I didn't go and get sick because now it was a stigma. And it's not like, you know, other communities, you know, like you look at rich society, they really brag about who they're shrinking. Like, that's a thing. Like, that's like a fashion thing. You know, for us, it's like this thing that you just don't talk about. Oh, she's crazy or right. this or that. So much so that even when I met the guy that I probably should have married, I ran from him because I was too crazy to deal with him. I was so scared I was going to hurt him that I ran and ran and ran and ran. You know, I I ran because I was like, I just cannot deal with liking loving somebody, being in charge of his heart because I'll break it and he'll be broken and he'll hate me. So I ran and did everything else in the world. This is how I perceive. And so growing up and finally coming to my own and learning to love myself and accept myself for what, 
who I am. I made a joke, and the joke was, you know, what you have to do is understand that we're all crazy, and the key is to understand <laughs> your to then embrace your dysfunction because I had been going through high school one time and just was like, oh yeah, you just embrace your dysfunction. You know, we're all mad here. You know, it's kind of like Alice in Wonderland is one of my favorite books. So, you know, we're all mad here. We're mad. We're right. we're on crazy. You know, like even when I was just talking to the Mad Hatter, he he asked me. Like, yeah, you're you're totally bonkers, but all the best people are. Mm-hmm. And so I started to understand that if we don't ever talk about it, if we don't ever bring it out into the open, somebody has to do it. And I kind of am right. that kind of person. Like, I'm one that if it's not going to be done, even though I may go about it in a totally unorthodox way. <laughs> I would be one that kind of, kind of like the court gesture. You know, I see it going on and I kind of can say it and not get the reaction that other people get. You know, I have kind of a a, a nice bedside manner and a bedside touch. So I can kind of say, well, hey, look, this is what we need to discuss because something is going on. And hopefully by me saying, you know, hey, this is what I experienced, other people will say, maybe I need to do something, because this is what I had to do. Eventually, I got to a point where I could not live. And mm-hmm. my children were suffering. And because my children were suffering, I had to do something. It just took a really long time to figure out what that was, what I needed to do. Right. And so that's the, the answer to why I feel it's important to talk about where I found the, the courage and the strength to talk about it is just like everything else. I'm very much, you know, people tell my brother, like, you are so real. Because mm-hmm. I don't care what I say. Is this the truth? I was going to tell it, it decades. And now, you know, my dad used to fuss at me all the time. Like, you don't know how to keep your mouth closed. <laughs> you can't say anything. Oh, why can't I just say anything? It's the truth. Well, right. I'm still very much that type. I, I have a, a little bit more tact than I do when I was a kid, but I'm still very much a person that if it is what I think and it is what I feel and it is the truth as far as I see it, I will say it. Right. Right. Do and you find I, that people are offended? But you said you said most times people are not offended. Is it because of the tone or maybe is it, is it your intention? Like I, I always would was curious about how some people are able to do that and it's okay. It's okay. I have a friend whose mother is that way. She's very matter of fact about what she says and um you know, everyone else will like get you know, clutch their pearls and <laughs> be all upset and you know, she just keeps on. So I wonder if, if, if it's just something in you or maybe in her that um, you just know that this is your calling. This is your calling to, to not only um, say what 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 you've experienced from your vantage point, but the truth as you perceive it. You know, is it? I'm just I'm curious. I guess I'm just really curious how you're able to do that, and people receive it 
so well. Now, to be the truth of this, I have no idea. It is the truth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it is a combination of things. I, I one, I don't have that you know that neck roll finger snap thing. I don't have that. Right. First thing, like I'm very unassuming. I'm also, you know, you see my pictures. I'm also kind of racially androgynous because I'm like, like in between on everything. So you know, people come around. I'm like, where are you from? And I'm like, I'm from right here. Matter of fact, I'm from <laughs> Beaver County. I'm from the woods, the swamp. Really, they were like, no, you can't be if you don't talk like us. And I'm like, man, I'm cooler than anybody. I just use mm-hmm. different words. I read a lot. You know, right. I think it's bad. You know, whenever I really know something, I have the ability to speak about it with authority. I have a lot of conviction when I know Mm -hmm. and believe. And I think that comes through. And I think, too, it is a a part of it is intention because I I think that people who know me and get to know me kind of understand I come from a place of great love. I don't Mm -hmm. ever say I don't say things to people to just just to hurt them. Get a reaction. Mm-hmm. I'm one that that I I don't do that. And then one of the reasons I don't do it is because it's been done to me, and I don't like you know. So even in an argument, I will not just say something. If I say it and it hurts you, I said it because I meant it. But it it just right. hurts you because it hurts you. But I didn't say it with the intention to do harm to you. And a lot of people do that tit for tat thing. I don't do that. Yes. I think that people know, you know, that I have, I come from a place of great love. Now, I, I'm a person, I love everybody. There's not mm-hmm. a person that I just don't know. I love everybody and everything. If it's alive, I love it. The dog, cat, tree. <laughs> I love it. I love right. everybody. And so, you know, you'll hear me, you know, just in conversation say, well, you know, I don't like this or I don't like that. And also when I say I don't like a person, it's really I don't like their ways and their actions. I, I never right. dislike a person because I understand enough to know that we're all connected and I can't really not like you unless I'm not liking the part of you that's me. Because mm. I'm, it's, it's me that I don't like. So whatever it is about you that I don't like, is an indication of something I need to work on within me. And I understand yeah. it. So so I don't I never genuinely just dislike a person. And then you if it's someone the behavior. Mm-hmm. Right. I dislike the behavior, I dislike the actions. And if it's someone that I cannot just meld with, I know that I have the freedom to say, Okay, well I can't really have you in my life because we are not compatible. Just because right. we're all compatible doesn't mean we're all compatible. And right. I am not one that says, hey, you have to just go around hugging everybody. You can not like a person's ways, and if a situation or person doesn't serve your best interest, then, yeah, get the heck away from them. <laughs> just because you love them, you can love people from a distance. Understand yes. that. And so, you know, that's that, tweetable. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> you can love people from a difference. different, different, distance. Lord have mercy. I don't know what's going on with me. 
And so, you know, that's how I, I believe, you know, even though I don't really understand how it works. I think it's a gift. It's a gift as well. And it's a part of what I came here to do. And so yeah. I, I am a gift, and I've learned how to use it. I came into the world, you know, we were talking about in the chat. I came here kind of wordy. You know, I'm, I'm always been a communicator. I've always mm-hmm. been a word, and I've always been a person that everybody kind of drew to. Even with the bad relationships, a lot of that is what it was. You know, I kind of draw broken people. I'm magnetized for it. So, you know, I'll, I'm able, over the years, I've learned to, to master the art of it. But I'm able to say, like, look, man, you need to. <laughs> and I'm, I'm really funny. See, I, I think, too, the humor part is really funny. I have a way of saying things and, and doing things. And then the way I talk, you hear that. But it's, it kind of comes out a little bit different than an attack. And one of the keys I always tell people, especially, you know, one of my projects is working with kids. I don't do it for mm-hmm. I work with women in my business, but I'm very close to the kids, especially the ones in my neighborhood. And people would say to me sometimes, well, why do you wake your child these kids? I said, the problem is you all talk at these kids. Right. Talk to them. And that's the thing, talk to a person. And people don't like to be talked at. I never did. Well, talk to people. And I think that makes a difference. And probably your friend's mother, that's probably how she does it as well. Mhm, mhm, mhm. You know, that's a, a question I have too about, you know, when you started doing your work on yourself and started just living in your truth. You know, how did your kids? I'm assuming you have children. Oh yeah, you do have. Because I know you were talking about your son. Yes, everybody. Thinks I, I have three daughters in the family. Okay. <laughs> um. <laughs> How did how did that happen, or how did they start to view you once you started changing your life around and turning your life around? Did did your relationship with them strengthen? You know, did you guys go through a period of maybe some difficult times? You know, what was that like? Well, it's, it's, that's a good question because I never really have been asked about my kids. I love to talk about them because my kids are. <laughs> And my kids are the reason, or mm-hmm. they were the They've been the support system for my kids are so extraordinary. And then, and I know everybody says my kids are not like any kids that I know because you have to understand, my children having a mother with whatever it is. I don't like to put labels because I don't think the mental health industry really knows what to call anything. So whatever right. mismanaged energies I was doing, that's what I call it. It's, it's mismanaged energy. Because mm-hmm. whatever it is, it just doesn't fit in the society we live in today. It, and this is my opinion, so you guys don't go back to your doctors and say, Kaliba told me. Don't do that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? As far as I'm right. concerned, it's mismanaged energy. And whatever I was going through, and I had my children understand very young. I had my oldest at 15, 
And by the time I was 22, I had all four of them. Okay. And so my kids took the brunt of all the chaos that I created in my life. Mm-hmm. And they put it beautifully because they, my kids are some of the strongest individuals I've ever seen in my life. And a lot of the strength that I have now came from mm-hmm. it, it, me saying, okay, so these kids got this from somewhere. Well, maybe had I not gotten thrown off part, I would be this strong too. And like, and mm-hmm. You know, my oldest, my oldest left home at 17 and moved clean to Texas. I never would have had the courage to do that. Mm-hmm. And she never, she came back. She had my grandson. She came back and she stayed home until he was three months old. She went back to Texas. She's never come back home. She very rarely calls and asks for anything. She'll call sometimes and she say, well, I'm going to be $50 short on this bill or that bill. Very often she'll call back and say, you know what, I got it. No mm-hmm. worries about it. And she, she does well. You know, she's not perfect, but she does, she does 25. You know, right. and I have my my son, and he's a great kid. My son is... You know, he's like an old dude in a 20-year-old body. It's an old cat. Really. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know he was going to grow up and become my dad. So we live here together, and he'll come in my, my room sometimes. And I have a habit, you guys. I will sweep the floor now, like, to get to take the trash up for, like, a couple of hours. And he'll come in and be like, hey. Are you gonna get this up? Because I just did this and I just did that. I was like, "Why you gonna get out of my Wait way?" Wait a minute, hold up. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, you know, he he's, he's really because he's super quiet, but he thinks mm-hmm. he thinks, and, and you will hear him say, he'll say like from the most profound things. Like I remember when he was three, and I was supposed to him, I said, "Well." You know, if you don't come in here and take these, bring the clothes out of the dirty clothes and put them in, you don't put them in the hamper out of your room, I'm not coming to your room to wash them. And he looked me square in the face and said, well, when you wash them, you don't ever take them out of the washing machine anyway. Oh, well, I forget, I will forget, you know, back then, forget to have to wash them again. Like, you know, you don't figure he wasn't, you know, he's little. He wasn't being bigoted. He was just saying, like, look, lady, you can't tell me to do something when you won't stay on your job. I've learned so much from them. Like, they came into the world to teach you, I believe. Yes. Yes. I have the one that is uh, 21. My 21-year-old, she is in high school. Every time we got a phone call from the school, she was in a fight. She was in a fight. A fight, she's like... Four feet tall. She <laughs> fight everybody. Well, you know, then she went through this. She went through this like 180 degree turn, and she became this phenomenal young lady. She's a makeup artist, and when I tell you she's phenomenal, she's phenomenal. She's been to the Brahma Brothers show. She's just come back wow. from New York. Yeah, she's engaged. She got her a little car. You know, she's doing it. She's doing it. She's mm-hmm. doing what. You know, they, you know, they'll come and say, oh, Mom, you can do it. You can do this and you can do that. Support my mom. You know, that's what I mean. And then my baby, of course, she's 18. She just graduated from high school. She just got accepted to the college here. 
is going to take forensic science. And, uh, you know, she and I will sit down sometime and we'll talk about, uh, you know, dark matter. Yeah, this is mm-hmm. My son and I, we discuss things like if Incredible Hulk and Superman fought who would win and things like that. And, you know, they, they're so, they're like my best friends. Even though you know, I don't advocate on one end for parents to be friends with their kids in the sense of discipline, right. it's like very respectful. But when I say they're like my best friends, they're like the best cheering section. And it amazes me because I look back and I think about all the things that my quote-unquote craziness and bad decisions and, and just not being able to focus on being a mother, mm-hmm. you know, through and not being at all that they went through, how do these kids still have such an abundance of love for me? And then it's genuine. You don't hear my kids say, well, you never did this or you never did that. Right. They're always there. They're always there, and they just always. And I, I feel like how many times I must have let them down? How many times mm-hmm. I must have hoping for something, and I must have let them down because of all the things I was dealing with. And my kids are they, So when I went through this change, I think it was for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Release. Yeah. Because you have to understand, my kids, as much as they have, I have taken care of them, maybe more than they have taken care of me. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, there's been times when I couldn't get up out of bed. You know, I just have to figure out how to, you know, work through the day, you know, and come in and mom, you need something to eat, you need this, that they've always been. Those are the two youngest, my son and my youngest daughter. They kind of always have known to take care of mom because she can't do it right now. Right. And now, you know, this is another reason why in our community this needs to be talked about because these kids, they Mm -hmm. end up suffering. Because understand, my kids really did, like, they really did have, they didn't really, they had a childhood, I guess, but not a normal childhood because there were so many times when I was powerless to do anything. Mm-hmm. And they mm-hmm. had to, like, my sister, my oldest, she kind of had to step in. And she's only, like, to her and my next next one to her, only three years apart, she kind of had to step in and kind right. of mother something. You know, this, this conversation is so important to be having right now because, again, we have so many women who are who listen to this show, and you know we're always so hard on our, ourselves. I think as mothers, I think we're harder on ourselves than anyone, and mm-hmm. kids are resilient beyond belief. And I'm listening to you share your story, and we have similar. Um, path, life path, in that there were times because of my husband passing and me just checking out that they had to mother themselves and mother their younger siblings because I have five, um, 20, 24 to 16, 15. And, you know, the older ones sometimes had to mother the younger ones because mentally I just checked out. And mm-hmm. Um, to see who they are now, I'm like, 
These are five wow. walking miracles. There's five walking miracles. Yes. That's how it is because I look at them, you know, I look at them, I, it's so amazing. Like my son, for instance, my son, and I, I don't say this to say he's any better than anybody else's son. He's my son. That makes him more important to me. But, mm-hmm. you know, I was a boy, and he, turned, he got a job. He got his first job. He went to work. Every single day for two months, he worked. Even when he didn't have to work, I said, you have to work today? No, but I'm going anyway. After a day, he said, baby, let me talk in. I'm going to say, he worked. He worked two months solid. He did not eat lunch. He didn't, he didn't buy new clothes. He, didn't, he saved up and he bought a new car. He bought a car. Mm-hmm. He and so the time he had gotten into a little bit of trouble, so we went to court, and I said, well, hey, I had said to him, you know, son, do you understand how extraordinary it is to do it? He was like, well, it's nothing, because they would have money, too, if they didn't eat lunch every day. He's 20. He was like 19. <laughs> so he didn't, to him, it's nothing. Like, okay, well, this is what I got to do. Well, he had to go to court and I was telling him I was going to watch what happens when you go to court. This is a misdemeanor. So he went to the courtroom and this guy, he just saw having a guy in here I knew, was in there that I knew. And I said, well, Christian, this guy my age. Watch what happens. Well, what ended up happening was this guy, the judge asked him, and he, he did an awesome thing that she really reduced everything. All he had to pay was like $200 and he would have been out of everything. So she was like, are you prepared to pay today, sir? And he was like, no, ma'am. So I said, now, see, this guy's like my age, and you can't enjoy it. They tell you, you understand how tremendous it is for you to be nice. You can go to your bank account and pull $2,000 out. Mm. Well, but, you know, it is amazing. There's so many little things about them that's amazing that I, I looked and I said, wow, you know, they had to get that from somewhere. So maybe yeah. I should take a really, really good look at myself. Mm-hmm. Well, as you were talking, I was thinking with each person, each child you were describing, I was like, that's a little bit of her. That's got to be a little mm-hmm. bit of her. You know, the, because if, you, if you've come back from the things that you've come back from, you've got to be a fighter. Mm-hmm. You have to, you're, know- you're literally fighting for your life, you know. All the time, and I did not know. Now, I did not start to, that's why I tell people, I didn't start to see it until the children got to be adults. And when mm-hmm. I went to be adults, because I'm not, because I'm not unintelligent, I could understand they got that from somewhere. Where did it come right. from? Because, you know, I had, you know, I had to really, you know, maybe I need to sit down and take a really good look at me. Because, man, and then I would hear, this is what did it, though. I would hear up here, I had a guy, he came over, and we were talking, and my son came out and was talking to him. And the guy was a bit older than me. He said, well, your son. He said, when I listen to my your son, I hear you. Wow. You, you, you talking about you. And he said, I mean, your children are so much like you. I didn't see it. I thought, well, maybe I'm not seeing me. That's what the issue is. I'm not seeing me. So maybe I need to go back and get to know me. Mm-hmm. 
so Beautiful. you know when I when you ask about them, I have to say that everything that comes out of me comes out because had I not, I don't know what would have happened if I had not had those children. And you right. understand really what I mean by that. By the time I had them, by the time I was 22, by the time I was 24, I ended up having a hysterectomy, just like my mother and my grandmother, you know, and wow. several other my family and my I remember when I had it at twenty four, my doctor said, Well you had a children and what he said, You had them young, but no matter what anyone says, had you not had these children when you did you'd have never had children. If you'd have waited, they can got married, wasn't married. <laughs> so you know, <laughs> had you waited, you know, so whenever you'd have never had them. They were meant to be here. The, the, my doctor says that to me. Wow. And think about it now in terms of had I not had them, I don't think I ever would have got healed. I never would have discovered what I needed inside me to heal myself. And I mm-hmm. never would be this people here to help other people heal themselves. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, you know, again, this is an a, this is an important conversation especially for the single mothers who are listening or who may be listening or who will go back and listen to the replay of this, who are wondering how did they come up as single parents. You know, sometimes I have that conversation with myself, but you don't know what a blessing your children are, maybe in the throes of, you know, raising them, because it's definitely not an easy walk in the park. Um. But when you get to the end of the road, so to speak, when when the baby sort of grows up, you know, your baby's at 18, so you you kind of like pass the rough patch in a lot of ways. Um, it's a whole nother ball game when they get, get to be young adults, in my opinion, because now you're not so hands-on, and it's really mental. It's really mental when they become young adults. Um but but right. to just hear you. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I was just gonna say before you go further that another thing is I've always been very as they start to come into young adulthood, I started to really notice if there were any signs of them suffering because now not only do they have to, I have to worry about the fact that they may have inherited it through genetics. Mm-hmm. Now I'm worried that my craziness has damaged them. So even if they had inherited it and had a chance to, you know, be okay, did I do something now, you know, that now I'm coming to be okay and I've gotten clarity, but what have I done to them before I got clarity? You know, so you, you start to, there's so many things you have to look at and worry about and, and see that is it's so important to really, really be serious about and vigilant about taking care of your mental health. Mhm. Mhm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I want to talk about. <laughs> excuse me. I want to talk about codependency mm-hmm. because I don't think I've ever heard anyone really delve into that. We hear everybody and their mama talk about forgiveness, which I think is important. We hear everybody and their mama talking about, you know, going from 
uh, pain to power and, and, you know, from this to that. But you mentioned that you transformed uh, extreme codependency into self-confidence. And, Mm -hmm. you know, let's dive into that because I think a lot of people – um, go through those those that that situation codependency. So can we talk about it, or can you explain like what you understand that to be, and you know what was your walk with that? Well, what ended up happening because I came from the background I did, and I started to to get a, a little older. I I really was. Very, very love deficient, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I don't blame anyone for 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 a very long time. I blame my mother, blame my parents, I blame blamed everything. We the all do that, ma- yeah. <laughs> for for the, the fact of the matter is, I, I've come to understand, mm-hmm. and, and but I I think with my mother, I I don't think it was so much that she never loved me. I think she never really understood me. And people often fear what they don't understand. I was different. Right. I was different. And I don't think, you know, that whatever I needed, I don't think she had it to give me the way that I needed mm-hmm. it. it, it she did I, I and one of the lessons that I've learned in my life is that people don't love you the way you think they should. People love you the best way they can. That's right. They love you the best way they can within the limitations that they have. Instead of you worrying about how they are not loving you, be happy that they love you at all. That's right. So, you know, that's that's one thing. But I was very much, when I started to, to get into, like, you know, eight, nine years old and onward, I was very lonely. I felt very unloved. I felt I was very awkward. I didn't fit in with anybody. I didn't have very many friends. Uh-huh. I was very, very lonely, and I felt very unloved, and I to seek love. And the problem is, you know, that because I was a, a fairly attractive Girl, it, well, I never have had a problem getting a boyfriend. Now mm-hmm. that I, I don't have, I never have had that issue. My issue has always been getting the right kind of boyfriend. <laughs> but I never right. had an issue getting a boyfriend. And the problem that it was is that there's a lot of predators out there, and being a very attractive girl. With self-esteem issues, makes you easy prey. And so, because I already, you know, a person cannot do or say anything to you that hurts you unless you sanction it, unless you agree with it on some level. So I would get into, you know, I, I kind of already so you can't do anything right. You can't do anything by yourself. You don't know how to do anything. This was already my self-talk. Right. So I would get into one abusive relationship, and guess what? I would be told, well, you won't be anything without me. I can't. You can't do anything. Nobody's going to ever love you. Well, I already felt that way anyway. So you must right. be telling me this. And 
little by little, I lost what little pieces of me I had because what you began to do is as your boundary is weakened, you began, you can't self-validate. And if you can't self-validate because we need validation, we need validation just like we need to eat. Mm. And if you self-validate, you will begin to take pieces of your authentic self and you will take that and bargain with it. And you will give that away in in exchange for validation. Yes. You will give that away in exchange for being important to somebody, anybody. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you mm-hmm. something. You feel like nobody in the world loves you. Even negative attention is better than no attention. Is attention, yep. <laughs> and a lot of people don't understand that. You know, I hear it all the time when I see girls in abusive relationships and I'll hear somebody say, well, she must be like it. She says it's not that she likes it. It's attention. She may be be afraid to leave because it's a dangerous thing to leave a fool. That's the first Mm. thing. And the thing is, she may just be just that hurt. She may not be able to self-validate and she may be just that weak. You sitting there saying, well, she must like it is not helping her. Right. You understand? So I, they, I depended and I got myself into relationships and I would go, you know, I would go and be with people, you know, that I probably wouldn't pick, that I look at now. I look at some of my exes now and I'm like, you know, I can't really figure out what it was. I don't know what it was that I liked about you, but apparently you had something I thought I needed. Mm-hmm. You had something I thought I because I did not believe that I could take care of myself. Even with four children, you, you, and I know it started in your childhood because it started for me in my childhood, but even when you had your children, because th- that's the fascinating thing for me. Like, I'm literally thinking about, as we're sitting here having this conversation, I'm thinking about when I finally found that self-love for myself. And my kids were way grown, and I probably was, it's <laughs> not that long ago, maybe five years ago. <laughs> so, you know, I guess my question is, what do you? What? How did you? How did that mindset? Because you were taking care of your children, you were taking care of them. So, how did that come about in your mind? Well, what I I took care of my children at first. Then um, I had the two youngest, and eventually all of my children ended up with my mother, and I have to say this about my mother. My mother, she had, had I not had her for a mother, I don't know what would have happened because she took these children, and I was in and out. I always loved my children, and I always was back and forth, and I was never going far, sure. but she had the home, so she had them here with her. And so for the most part, she pretty much raised them, you know, so the two youngest toward the end, you know, when they were, you know, coming 
from like going into middle school and on up. But right. she had my middle daughter, my middle daughter, the twenty one year old. I had her, and I remember because when all else fails, call mom, right? So mm-hmm. I my daughter, my daughter's left handed, and I put her in pre K. And for some reason, the pre-K teacher felt like my daughter needed special education because she was left-handed. And I was so beside myself because I'm trying to tell the lady, like, even when I was in kindergarten, we had left-handed scissors. you never seen a left-handed kid. My dad is left-handed. You know, what is wrong with you, lady? So the lady was just so mean that I called my mother. And I said, Ma, I don't know. And my mother was livid. And she came and she told that lady, she said, well, you know what? I'm tired of talking to you. I'm going to take her out of school. And I didn't say nothing. She took her out. She brought her home with her. Well, it was supposed to be for just that school term. But she ended up saying she came back in the summer. And I think her and the two youngest got into it about something. And she called my stepdad. And he got me on the phone. Was like, I'm on my way to get her. And from that point on, I think my mom told me later, she said, well, I told him just leave her down there with you. But, but, you know, he came and got her, so she ended up staying with them all the way. And then, you know, things got worse and worse. And I, I really could not hold a job is what the issue ended up being. So I could not keep a place to live. And I was so tired of dragging my children from this place to that place to this place to that place. I said, Mom, just can you keep them until I can figure something out? It just took me forever to figure it out. What like. Well, he did. So that was one of the things. I really didn't raise them as much as any other parent probably would have because I had a mother that could take them. You know, if I did anything, it's probably imparted a whole lot of knowledge to them. Not unknowingly, I had a great deal of intelligence, and I would talk to them all the time. I learned very early on that rather than always defaulting to spanking, sometimes you can talk to kids. I knew that my kids had to have some sense because I have some and so I just talked to them, and I would explain things to them, and they seemed to understand, and they didn't have a whole lot of behavior problems with them. So I imparted a lot of knowledge to them, but as far as raising them, raising them every day, some things I was spared to go through. But it was very difficult because my fight always was, my intention always was, I'm going to get, to get, get myself together, I'm going to get a place, and I'm going to get my kids and we're all going to live in the house together. And that was like the promise that I always had that never seemed to ever get fulfilled. So it was a heavy burden to carry. It was a heavy burden because I felt very much like I let them down because I never did it. I never could. I just did not figure this out fast enough. They were already adults before I got it together. And so I never could see it. And, And that goes back to the codependency because I was so broken and I felt so much like, see, that's what I'm going to say. Truth is truth as far as you can perceive it. So if you can't see it, it doesn't matter who can see it for you. Mm-hmm. If you can't see mm-hmm. it yourself, nobody can see it for you and make you do it. That's right. Double-edged sword. <laughs> it took a great deal of soul searching. It took a great deal of digging deep. It took 
some brutally honest self-evaluation and until you can look at yourself honestly and say, you know what, I'm effed up. Right. You keep making excuses for why you are the way you are, you'll never get it. You'll never get it because your excuses are always going to justify you being that way. Until you say, you know what, I'm effed up and i got to change, you're not going to be able to change. You got to, you have to first admit that there's an issue. And it, it, to me, I just would say, well, you know what, I can't do that. I wouldn't even try because for a very long time, I would rather not try than to try and fail. Now, you say that's yeah. so crazy. That's like the craziest thing. Now I hear myself saying it like, you know what, did I ever say that? Yes. I thought, honestly, well, I'd rather just not try than to try and fail. Who wants to be laying on their deathbed saying, I should have, could have, would have? Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you really, that's Brown said, you know, don't die with all that in you. Don't die with your greatness. Wayne Dyer used to say, don't die with your song in you. Don't that's die right. with your song still in you. You know, so right. little for along the way, though, I had some guidance. I didn't recognize it all the time, but I, I had some guidance, some divine guidance. Mm-hmm. You know, I was blessed. I tell people all the time, you know, you know, I learned to read early on, and I always mention that because I believe that knowing how to read at a very young age saved my life. I believe that with yes. my heart. Because yes. I could read, I, I could think. And even though I may have been afraid to say what I thought, and you can't tell that now, but, yeah, I used to be afraid to say what I thought. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I, I said, well, okay. You know, I, I remember sitting in 10th grade, and I was introduced to Emerson and Thoreau in 10th grade. Mm. Emerson said, you know, don't go where the path may lead. Go where there's no path and break blaze the trail. So Emerson was telling me, he was talking to me, and he said to mm-hmm. me, look here. You don't have to worry about where everybody else is going. You go wherever you want to go and let them follow you. That's what he said to me. I don't know what he was saying to every other person in the classroom, but that's what he but said that's to what me. You heard, right? Yeah, Thoreau said, look, look at all these people right here that you know. Pythagoras, Jesus, all these people you know, they nobody understood them either. Mm-hmm. So guess what? They were great. I bet you you're great too. Nobody don't understand you. They don't understand you because you're great. Mm-hmm. This is a lot. So I put it all together. But these guys said this to me. They said it from way deep down in the grave somewhere. But they yeah. put it on paper. When they put it on paper, I believe that Emerson and Thoreau wrote those words for me to read in that fifth grade classroom. Mm-hmm. You know. I saw more sitting down and came across a Les Brown table. is my favorite speaker. My favorite speaker. I'm going to meet him one day. And, you know, I listen to Les Brown. Even to this day, I listen to Les Brown every single day. Mm-hmm. Like, I will listen to Les Brown before I get up every morning. I almost know all his speeches by heart. Wow. <laughs> 
It's so funny. And you understand? I listened. So Les Brown told me, you know what you need to do? You need to go listen to Earl Nightingale, The Stranger Secret. Mm-hmm. That's what you need. And Uh-oh. then when Uh-oh. you finish listening to that, what you need to do is go get James Allen book, As a Man Thinketh. And you need to read that Uh-oh. too. This is so I do. On, on y'all, sisters, my my queens who are listening. She's dropping some stuff on you. Les Brown, uh, Earl Nightingale, The Strangest Secret, As a Man Thinking, James Allen. Yes, I, I, I did that. And so little mm-hmm. by little now, here's what's happening, though. Now I'm getting really weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm really weird, but I was already weird. Because I was weird because before I was born in a very small town here in Georgia. Because I was born, but mostly everybody is Baptist. I was born in a place where nobody knew anything other than spirituality was religion, and religion was going to church. And so anything that was outside of that, anything that sounded too woo-woo, was just really, now you're really crazy. But now I was crazy. I was starting to be introduced to what we now call the law of attraction. Yes. Didn't know I what was it was called. Be, right. I didn't know what it was, and I did not, even though now I have all this, not, this knowledge, and I understood there's some things I understood already on an intuitive level. As I have to say that mm-hmm. there's something kind of just came in the world knowing. But as I start, and I believe that I was intuitively led because I'm one. I'll read a book, and you will see me with a pen. I would not read a book without a pen. And every other book that's listed in that book, I'll go find that book. Let me tell you something. Before Wayne Dyer became spiritual Wayne Dyer, I already yes. had read Erogenous Zone. I read Erogenous Zone because my mom bought it, and it was just in our living room, and I must have like nine years old. <laughs> I was like nine years old. So when Wayne Dyer started to be the spiritual Wayne Dyer, I already knew who he was. And you guys I mentioned him because that's another favorite. I, I felt that loss because to me, Wayne Dyer was as much of a teacher and mentor to me as me and him spent many days in the same room. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I looked as a man, as a, he taught me so much through writing. And so because of people like Les Brown and because of people like Dr. Dyer, I began to see where I was going. I began to see what I was meant to do because I was meant to teach people just like they yes. were. Yes. I was meant to speak to people just like they were and write just like they were. So I was seeing the fact that they had these jobs, and if they had these jobs, Ms. Brown said, look here, if it's ever been done before, you can do it. So the That's fact right. that I'm a speaker, the fact that I'm a speaker and I write books, that means you, if you want to, you can be a speaker and write books. So somebody else would say, look here, you can't write no books. That's not a real job. That's for um, famous people. Well, how do you think that person got famous? Right. <laughs> Les Brown was born in a bathroom floor and right. abandoned. And the twin brother. Yep. Floor, abandoned building floor. Him and his brother. Mm-hmm. In Liberty City. And y'all know where Liberty City is. 
Yes. You weren't born in Beverly Hills. You were born in Liberty City, Florida. On the in a abandoned building, no less than look where he is now. You know, right. so I, you know, he wasn't famous when he was born on the back on the abandoned building floor. That's right. He said, "All you ever need is the will to do it." And then there's the truth that you can harness your will. And I had to. And let me tell you guys how. I began to harness my will. Anytime I get pissed about anything, I will move. Hmm. My son, now, when I was with my kid's father, my kid's father was extremely, my two young kids, he's extremely abusive. And and today, today he, he he's fine. He, he, he and I are okay friends. But right. you know he has issues, and I I want not to bash him is what I'm saying. So I want to go back. Yeah. I, I'm not because he was very ill, you know, mentally. He's very and let ill. Let me just say I appreciate that. I appreciate that because we are living in a time where we need more love, and mm-hmm. I'm so serious about that. Looking at everything going on, I'm not a TV watcher, so I don't watch the news on on end. But you know, being on Facebook, you can't avoid certain things. But one thing that I am so sure about in this climate is that we need more love and we need more understanding between men and women, mother, daughter, all of the relationships. That's that's what I'm just saying. That I appreciate you saying that. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, and and trust trust me, I don't hate any of my exes. I appreciate them all. They the book that I wrote, The Joy of Heartbreak. I expressed that so many times. Had it not been for those guys, I would not be who I wouldn't be here to tell you anything. I wouldn't have nothing to tell you. Whatever <laughs> I tell you, because I wouldn't have been through nothing. But I learned so much from them. I learned so much about me. From these men, and the same thing with him. Believe it or not, twenty years later, I still shop at the grocery store the same way he do. Why? Because he taught me how to shop. Now I go mm. to the grocery store, and if anybody ever does it different, it gets on my nerves. If you go to the store and me, you don't follow the protocol, I'll be up there. I'm like, that's not how you do it. Why? Because he taught me how to shop. It's ingrained in me, but it works. So mm-hmm. you know. He taught me so many things, and he wasn't all bad. There was a right. lot of things about him. We had a lot of fun when we did, but he was very abusive. And, and for some reason, he had this thing. My son is the first child that we had together. And he had this thing about my son. And he didn't want me to really hold him, and he didn't really want me to take him anywhere with me and things like that. Mm-hmm. So he, my son was very afraid of him when we were when he was young, right before I left. And and before I had my youngest daughter, I was pregnant with her. I look at my son one day, and my son, when I tell you, his dad went to work at in the morning at five o'clock. My son would say, "I'm going to bed." He would go to bed every single day at five o'clock because he would avoid his dad. He was like eighteen wow. months old. You understand? And I would look at my son, and my son would just be like, Mama, do something. He he didn't didn't say it. He couldn't articulate it. But that's how I felt. 
And I'm going to tell you something. If you don't know, you will know. If you will not fight for yourself, you will get some strength from somewhere if somebody starts messing with your kids. That's right. You will forget about being scared if someone starts to mess with your baby. And that's what ended up happening. And my mother tell me, she said, people would ask her, why don't you tell her to leave? And my mother said, I told them, when you got tired, you would leave. And that's what happened. I got tired. And what else meant tired? If I don't fight for anything else in the world, the thing that will set me off every single time is if you mess with my sister. Do not do that. Do not bother my sister in no kind of shape, form, fashion. Just leave her alone. Fight me if you must, but do not touch my sister. It's right. a very, very deep-seated thing. Don't mess with my sister. Well, my sister happened to have, at the time, she had a miscarriage. And my cousin, my first cousin, she was pregnant at times, and she had her baby. And my sister and her had due dates around Thanksgiving. And my sister called me crying, and I was trying to talk to her, and he was fussing in the background, and he wanted to fight. But he would not want me to talk to my sister. Well, that just did it. And I was like, you know what? And for the longest time, many years we had been together, I never had called a police to our house. As many times we had called, I never called the police until that day. But that day, my mother came over there and she said, I don't care what y'all doing over here, I came to get everybody that belonged to me. And so I left. And I left. And that was the beginning of me saying to myself, from now on, I will never be in a situation again where anybody controls all the money because right. he did. Where anybody controlled everything in the house because he did. I did not know exactly how to do it, but I knew that that was something that I needed to learn. And that was what started me to go on a journey of trying to figure out for myself how to do things for myself. And I was very awkward with it at first. I did not know how to do it. I messed up a lot and I fell off here and there, but eventually I got it. Right. It's like riding a bicycle. It's like riding a bicycle. You're a little wobbly at first, and you fall off, and then you get back on. And I think, you know, hearing what the common theme theme that I hear in everything that you have shared with us this evening is knowing that where you're at at that moment is temporary. It is not a permanent state of being. Um, and, and, and the fact that you were always searching, it sounds like you were always searching, even in the midst of everything going on in your life, you remain a, a searcher, which Taliba fits you so perfectly. So right. perfectly. I'm so glad you, you described, uh, you know, gave the meaning of your name because, Hearing you now, I'm I'm like, no, she really is Taliba. She really, really, for real, for real is that person, that persona. Yeah, Taliba said it's very much like Sasha Fierce. You know, yes. but, and, and truly, I never, I, I used my given name 
for people that's known me many years in my family, of course, but I I don't identify with it at all. I am to me but that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of other things that came into play because I tell you, there's some things that strengthened me over the years. I had a very real desire with that boy that I mentioned, you know, I was going to come back and I was going to find that boy and I was going to tell that boy, you know what, I really did love you. And I could not because I was just too crazy. <laughs> you know, I, I needed that. It was very, very so I, it, there was times when I probably would have died had I not had a very real will to survive. You know, I've been through some things. And I tell you guys, I've been through some things. I've been through some things. And I laugh a lot of the times when I listen to some people, especially family, and I think to myself, you know, they don't really know me. You know, they think they do. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Right. I mean, so many people that have no idea some of the things that I have endured in my life, I never really talk about it. You know, right. the people, you know, I've been through so many things and I've come through and I had my aunt, I, you know, I mentioned this in another interview, and my aunt recently, in the last year or two, she told me, she was like, you know, it is a commendable thing that you are even saying. All things that you've been through. Even some young, I remember my grandma saying, your young life, you've been through so many of these things that most grown people would never even went through. No, my grandma was like, I don't know why you're in the crazy house. I went mm-hmm. through it. I learned that there's no way out unless you go through. Can't right. get out. You can't get out. And I started to understand that pain is a very real part of life. Like you can't live and not have pain. The issue right. is suffering and pain are not the same thing. You suffer because you try to avoid pain. You suffer mm. because you accept your pain. If you were to accept your pain and understand that there's a purpose for it, and you understand that suffering comes from the resistance of pain, then you stop resisting the pain, you accept it. You embrace it like a little kid. And when you finish embracing it and you allow yourself to feel it, you let it go and move on. You let it go and move on because if you don't let it go and move on, what ends up happening is that you try to avoid it. But here's here's something you can do really, really quick. Tell yourself not to think about something. The minute you do that. You got to think about it. Why? Because the command to do it contains the thing that you're not supposed to think about. Right. So every time that you remind yourself not to think about it, you have to think about it. Mm-hmm. That's what you That's call your law. The particular activator system says every time you try not to think about the yellow Jeep, you're going to think about a yellow Jeep. Matter of fact, now you're going to think about the yellow Jeep. Everywhere you go, you're going to see a yellow Jeep. You're going to start looking for it subconsciously. This is why every time you buy a car, everybody's got the same car. They always have the same car. You just didn't see it. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. My sister. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Oh, you got that? I'm sorry. 
No, I'm just saying you you dropping some jewels, you dropping some wisdom on on the audience tonight, and I just I appreciate it. I always I'm I'm here as the host, but I'm learning. So you if you hear me being quiet a lot, it's because I'm learning, and I'm learning how to um, tap into my own uniqueness because a lot of your story is my story. And it's probably the story of thousands of women who felt mm-hmm. out of place, who felt weird, who didn't, you know, I, I always felt like I didn't belong to my family. It's like, why why am I with these people? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> um, yeah, how many of us will live down below our purpose to fit in? Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I get it now, but you know, it definitely was was a, a a place I had to go, and it took a long, long, long time to. Well, let me not say that. It took me a, enough time that I needed to figure it out. Let me not say it was a long, long, long time. Um, yeah. I did want to um, let the audience know that you are on Facebook. So if you guys are wanting to connect with Haliva, you can go to her Facebook fan page. I posted it on Twitter and also on on the um, Facebook, my Facebook fan page, Evolutionary Woman with host Khadija Ali. And I did also want to let people know that you are offering a free one-hour Let Go and Live consultation, and you can email her at Taliba Asset at theuncommonlyextraordinary.com. Please take advantage of... Yes. Uh, You know, it's actually... I I sent that email. I should have told you that. I apologize. It is actually Taliba Asset, soul therapist at outlook.com. Oh, okay. I had an issue with my web host and decided that I was going to leave. It was... uh, uh, for the moment thing and I had an issue. They weren't going to let me do what I wanted to do with my website. So I said I'll build it myself. And whenever I get mad, I'll be like, you know what, I'll just do it. Don't <laughs> worry about it. So it wait, is, is actually, it Taliba? Wait, hold on. Taliba, Taliba Soul Therapist at Outlook.com Soul Therapist at Outlook.com. Okay, so we'll just make a correction of that. It'll definitely go to Twitter and also to um, the Facebook page as well so that people will know how to get in contact with you. This has been an amazing and powerful um, past hour and a half. We've been talking almost an hour and a half. Um, Yeah, you you have some... mm Like you said, it doesn't seem like it went by so fast. It did, but you know what? What happened was that first hour, it was kind of like the warm up, <laughs> and then the second, when that second hour hit, like we were, we were into it. So um, always follow your intuition, my ladies, my queens, family who's listening. Always follow your intuition because my intuition told me to set the show for two hours so that we would have enough time to really, really delve into some things. And I think what what you have shared tonight, especially concerning, you know, what your journey has been and your children, you know, our, our 
our real wealth, in my humble opinion, is our children because they're going to be here hopefully long after we're gone. Um, and Ooh. then they're going to then have children and, you know, our, our legacy will continue through them. And so to me that's the real wealth of the world. So I'm really happy and, and um, pleased that you shared um, the genius because each and every one of your children are geniuses in their own way. Um, I think it's important for mothers to hear stories like that so that they know, listen, it's okay, hold on, um, you're raising kings and queens, for real, for real. It's not just empty rhetorical talk. You really are um, holding up, raising kings and queens, geniuses, um, the next Bill Gates, the next Les Brown. We're raising them. So I just wanted to say that, and I wanted to thank you for being here. And um, do you have any parting words of wisdom for those who are listening tonight? Um. Yes, I I want to say that no no matter what, no matter what it is that you go through, understand that it, it is just temporary. You know, we said it before and hit on the right. I want to go back and really, really point to that because it is just, it is just a temporary situation and everything, no matter what it is, no matter how bad it seems, understand that it is necessary for your growth and development because you can't become who you are unless you go through what you go through. It is always on the job training. Just look at it. I have a tattoo here on my arm, and my tattoo says, Love, Hell, Right, the 12th letter of the Supreme Alphabet. Let me tell you, love hell or right is an intense process because you'll go through hell to make what you love right. And if you don't mm. go through hell, fight you don't love it. To put another mm. way, the great, great Frederick Douglass said, without struggle, there can be no progress. Mm-hmm. So, understand that when you're going through, there's no way out but through. But since yeah. you can't get out Anyway, you might as well have fun. You might as well go ahead and do it. <laughs> exactly. Well, exactly. Might as well go ahead and get it done because <laughs> then you're not going to get out of here. I've yet to see anybody get out of this life alive. Everybody that I see leave by way of a casket. What are right. you going to take with you? Live full and die empty. That's right. If you need some tips on that, you can always hit me up. I will be happy to talk to you about it. I have a plethora of stuff to say. Beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Sis, I want to thank you again for being here. Um, I want to thank you for your candor, your honesty, your truth, and for being that example for us. And I'm definitely including myself in that. Um, to show us how to go through, you know, and that it's okay. It's all okay. It's all a part of the process. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've gone through, it's all okay. And it's here. It's only It only showed up to strengthen you. That's just my personal belief, that everything that you've ever gone through in your life has shown up to strengthen you, 
and to help you build character. So with that being said, my my queen, I appreciate you being here. Come back anytime. You're a sister and a friend to the show. I'd love to have you come back and talk about relationships because I oh, know yes. that you have a lot to say about relationships. <laughs> yes, 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 I do. Matter of fact, I have right now the Hero's Journey, which is a course in a private Facebook group that I'm doing. You guys have to come and be a part of that. It'll start August 1st because we're going to get down and dirty into relationships during that six months. Oh, wonderful. Well, listen, share that with me, um, or or you can even share it on, 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 oh, on the radio live right now and let us know how uh, to get into the group so we can we can get started because we have like two weeks now. Yes, and I'm taking early bird application, early bird membership. Now, right now, because the course hasn't started, the early bird members that I have, we're going through Wallace models, the science of getting rich, and yes. you know a lot of fun stuff. Um, the the it's on Eventbrite. Um, I'll send you the link so you can post it because you know Eventbrite has those long drawn out links. Um, and the early bird membership is eleven dollars and eleven cents. So wow, it, I love it. It'll go up, you know, as we get closer. But I figure, you know, so you're gonna invest in yourself. The least I can do, I always strive to make my services affordable. I see coaches all the time with these thousands of dollars. I say, well, the people that need you the most can't afford you. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I cater to the people who come from where I come from, and oftentimes they can't afford because I couldn't afford it. So I try to make my services affordable yet enough so I can still eat, and that's why I do things like groups because I figure a lot of people paying a little bit to make sure I can eat and everybody can afford it and we can all have a good time. I never that's want right. to be I don't want to take food out of your children's mouth. I'm very that's adamant right. about that. And so I'll send you the link to the Eventbrite page. Other than that, you can always send a, a message to me in my Facebook uh, page, fan page and send it through PayPal. It, it, I'm really flexible. I'll, I'll work with you any, any way I can. But you can look for it on Eventbrite. It'll be under Taliba set. Um, the Shiro's Journey from Fear to Fear. Wonderful. I'm going to see if I can find it really fast. You said it's to leave us the, under the yes. event. Under the event. And it'll be Shiro's Journey from Fear to Fear. Let's see if I can. Um, Shiro's Journey from Fear to Fears. Oh, I think it, it, I think it just came up. Yep, I got it. I got it. So I'm going to share it on the Facebook page and also on the um, on Twitter. Can sign up. Yes, we're we're gonna we're gonna talk about relationships a lot in there, and talk about you know some of the things that cause us to make mistakes that we do in relationships. And understand this too. You know, I know a lot of us tend to want to blame the guy, but it's yes. very rarely. The- relationship is and it's all one person's fault. You know, start mm-hmm. looking into 
the other interviews I did one time, somebody asked me, um, what was the most profound thing that I've learned? And it's simply this, that everything is my fault. No matter what it is, it's all my fault. Wow. Woo, 100% responsibility, not 99, huh? <laughs> all of it. It is. I am, I will tell you, part of our problem is not so much that we don't, we don't, it is that we blame other people, and also we don't know what we're responsible for. And so we try mm-hmm. to control that makes us blame other people who are trying to control what we can't control. Funny that we'll do it over and over again, try to do what experience and life has taught us is impossible. You cannot control anything outside of yourself. You are responsible for what you say and what you do. You're responsible for the integrity and the purity of your words and actions and motives, and you're responsible for telling someone how you feel and what you want. Now, how they Mm. respond to it, that's outside of your control. Understand that. They have the right to respond to it and do whatever they want to do in response to what you do. Always make sure you keep your actions and your motives above board, and then you will walk away with a clean conscience. Sometimes our attachments are not so much that we're attached to a person, we're attached to being right. Yes. I got I'm tweet. These are all tweetables. You're sharing some good stuff here. As we are closing out, so I'm tweeting them. Thank you so much, sis. This has been uh, eye-opening, especially for me. And I appreciate you being here again. Um, We're going to have to definitely talk about your book when you come back. We're gonna to have to talk about chorus when you when you're finished with um the group and I can't wait for you to come back on the show. I can't wait to be back. Thank you so much for having me, Khadija. I look forward to it. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely queen. Absolutely All right, family, this has been another episode of Evolutionary Woman Radio. I am your host, Khadija Ali. Stay tuned for next week. We will have another dynamic guest in studio. Until then, have a peaceful, prosperous, and productive day and weekend. I'll see you guys all on Monday. Peace and blessings.
Evolutionary Woman Radio. Tune in Mondays and Thursdays, 5.30 p.m., only on Blog Talk Radio. Visit our Facebook page for archived shows at facebook.com forward slash evolutionary woman radio.